First, my name is Drew. I'm the pastor here. I'm, I'm excited that you're here with us today, especially if you're new or checking it out. We're really glad uh, that you're here. Um, we're really excited for you to get to actually meet other people. So hopefully that time we just had did that. And hopefully after the service, you'll spend a little time with us um, as well. I also wanted to share today, we have occasionally, I think every about quarter, we gather our small group leaders. You heard about small groups. Together, there's people who actually commit time um, and a lot of heart and uh, themselves to leading these small groups. And we gather to just encourage one another. Uh, I think today we're grabbing some pizza and we're hanging out at our house. Uh, and then we just try to kind of equip each other and encourage one another and, and do that. And I'm really thankful for, the, for those people. Um, I know many of you are very thankful for those people. Um, and we don't often like take time to, to even say it. Maybe you're even unaware that, that there are those people. Um, and so I just want to take a second. Today we're meeting to have lunch and uh, encourage one another. Um, but I want to just take time like, to, as, a, as a church to stop and pray for them and thank God for these people who do this. Um, and so let's stop for a moment and just thank God for our, these people willing to step up and lead our small groups and really um, be the front lines of shepherding people here at Hope. So let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for working in us, giving us new life, that you'd be willing to do the work to go on a cross, to die, to rise from the dead, to ascend to your throne, and that in that you, you welcome us with you, that you'd give us life, and that you um, have given uh, these people uh, a call to lead and shepherd others in our church, and I thank you that they're willing to take that call. And I pray you'd um, encourage them, that you'd build them up, that you'd fill them, that their cups would overflow, and that... Uh, that we would all help others know you more. Um, I just pray a great encouragement over them that you would bless them um, and, and that they would know that we are so grateful for their work to help others know you and grow closer to you. Um, we pray this in your really, really good name. Amen. There's at least a few of you probably who are small group leaders. It's at 1130. It's at my house. <laughs> if you're wondering <laughs> where lunch is. Uh, something I needed help with, I think of a story from... Uh, long ago for me when I was a, a young kid and I was in Cub Scouts. Um, and uh, we had something we called the Pinewood Derby. I know some of you have shared even stories about having this and other. There's like church version of Cub Scouts. Uh, I forget what it's called. It has a cool name. Uh, I think Awana even there's Pinewood Derby. But you, ultimately there's this cool little track they make and then you're given like a piece of wood and you get to carve it or cut it and make it into a, a, a car. And then you race down a, Thing. And part of it is, uh, is the getting to design it and learning how it works. Uh, part of it is just making it roll. Part of it is trying to actually win. Uh, I wasn't a kid who cared if I won the race as much as if I had like a very creative, cool looking car. Um, and when I first had the opportunity to do this, I insisted that I could do it. I think I was probably in kindergarten, maybe first grade. <laughs> and I got the block and my dad said, okay. He gave me this block of wood and it had some slots in the bottom where you we're supposed to put wheels, I think, and uh, I, I didn't know what to do, so I started just cutting the piece of wood with a saw, and I, I spent a lot of time working on it <laughs> and painted it, uh, and I had a lot of trouble with the wheels, and by the time my dad came to check on me, which is a few days later as I kept working on it, I kept sending him away, I don't need your help, I don't need your help, he, he came, and it was a broken piece of wood. In fact, I had cut so far that the, it was broken in half, and I had tried to tape. I didn't know how to use other than like tape, maybe glue, like Elmer's glue. So it did not work. There, there was no way it was rolling. The wheels wouldn't stay on. Um, and I kept trying to like push it down a little ramp I made and it, it didn't do anything. Uh, and I said, no, I got to tell you, I so ne like needed to have this be a thing that I did. 
I got it. I can do this. I don't, I don't need anyone. I can do this. Um, and then my dad told me a story of when he was a kid and he made Pinewood Derby cars uh, when he was in Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts. Uh, and he talked about these really cool cars he made and how he weighted them and how he like uh, greased the wheels. I don't know if that's even legal, but he, uh, how we could use lithium grease to make the wheels work better and we could balance them so the wheels are exactly straight. And he explains all this, right? My dad, who's an engineer, explains how we could make this the fastest car, the coolest looking car. And by the end, I went, okay, well, I guess I could hire you on as like my assistant and we could make a car. So we made our first car. And it was very fast. It was like the thinnest piece of wood it could possibly be. And it had tons of weight built into it. And it went very fast. And it was really, really a lot of fun. And it ended up actually being a great thing for my dad and I get to do together. For years, we got to build Pinewood Derby cars together. It was really hard. I, can, like, I still have that feeling, right, for other things in life. I, like, I, don't, I don't need it. I don't need it. And I heard about how my dad could do this thing. I thought, oh, maybe... And so thankfully, help me, my car never would have, it would have just been a block of wood sitting there and they would have released the gate and it would have just sat there. And I probably would have cried. First grade, Drew would have cried for sure. Um, Today we are continuing a series, we're in Romans and we're thinking about this, that if you can feel that feeling of like, I don't need help, but I kind of know I do need help. Uh, and so as we go through Romans today, we're still in the beginning section of Romans in chapter two, we just started chapter two. And this is, a, this is what we're looking at today. What does this look like to be people who understand the help we need and, uh, and understand the help that we're able to get? Um, we have lots of resources. We'd love for you to check them out, especially we have scripture journals that are out on tables somewhere out in the, in the um, hallway. If you want one, they're, they're for you. I see people bringing them in. I love it. It's an opportunity just to, as we go through Romans for the next year together, to take notes and have it together. We have a podcast that one of our pastors is doing and lots of resources on our app. Love for you to check that out. Last week, we started chapter two, and this was an opportunity in chapter two to, it kind of switches. The first chapter, we learn about this great gospel, this good news that has power to save people, and that all it takes is turning to God, a faith in what Christ has done and who God is. And that unlocks this power of this good news to rescue us, to save us. And then we hear a whole list of what it looks like for the wrath of God to be poured out on people because of disobedience. Actually, if we don't do that, if we don't turn to the Lord and we turn to other things, creation, any kind of creation other than creator, we find ourselves in a place that leads ultimately to death and darkness isn't life that we were created for. Then in chapter two, it takes a turn, not really a turn, but it adds really, because at this point, um, Jewish readers of this letter that this guy named Paul is writing to this church may have been starting to feel like, yeah, those Gentiles, those non-Jewish people, those people, they probably have been thinking about the culture around them in Rome and thinking, oh, every day I see friends walking to the temple to, to give sacrifices to these gods or performing these acts or doing these things in their life. What are they thinking? And so Paul here says, you're in the same place. And that's really what he's going to continue the thought of today. This is from last week, just so we're kind of on the same page. This is where Paul goes after he's made a, shown a list of what it looks like to turn away from God and says, they do this and they do this and they do this. And then he turns to his Jewish friends here in this church and he says, you therefore have no excuse you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. You're doing the same thing as they are, even in your, in your passing judgment on them. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. It's true that 
When God does it, it's right, it's true. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things you do, do you think you will escape God's judgment? So you're doing the same things and you think somehow you don't get the punishment for that? You don't get the consequence for that? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? You don't see these incredible things God has done for you, the kindness he's shown you, the grace and mercy that he's shown you is to, is to cause you to want to turn to him realizing he's the one that brings life. Do you, do you not know that? So he's saying this to these, these people and he's going to continue this conversation. We, we uh, looked last week as we keep thinking about this as this idea of, of they keep saying they do this, they do this and God's saying, or Paul's saying, God through Paul in this letter is saying, you're all actually in the same place. That's really where he's going to land today. We're going to get to this place as he says, the kindness of God, this good news that God has brought, the mercy and kindness should cause us to turn to God. And it hasn't. Uh, and he said, even you, the Jewish people who might feel like you're chosen and, you, and, you're, uh, and you have some special treatment, it's not going to be that way. So he continues here in Romans 2. And this is a passage today that we're going to dive into a little bit. But because of your hand and impenitent heart, the unrepentant, the not willing to turn to God heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Strong statement, storing up wrath. This, this judgment that comes, this consequence to turning from God. That one day that will come and God will have no choice but to judge that truthfully that you have turned from him. He'll render to each one according to his works. So he's gonna look at it and go, hey, what have you done? To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are seeking, self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Through this fury word in here now as well. Um, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The, the Jew first, also the Greek. For God shows no partiality or favoritism, some translations. So he's clarifying, again, Paul's continuous discussion. You, you think, yeah, those people. He, no, no, I want you to understand all of us people are in this place. And he says, because we've turned our hearts from God. And because of that, there's an element of us storing up Wrath, it's like building and building. We're collecting it so that one day when it's revealed, all of that wrath will come to us. This is a similar, right, that we saw. It's, it's like he's repeating sort of in a sentence or two what we saw it really laid out for us more in detail in Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Saying that wrath that you said, yeah, those people that's the same that's coming to you because you've turned from God. You haven't lived the way God has called us to. So they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of mortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, right? We've talked about this many times now in the last months. We turn these, again, the unrighteousness is we've turned to things that aren't God to bring our hope, to bring our, our, our rescue, 
to bring life to us instead of turning to God. And those, a lot of those things aren't necessarily bad things. They're, they're good things, but we've made them like our ultimate things, our God things. And by doing that, we have stored up this wrath. He's telling the same, he's saying all these things, you too, my Jewish friends who maybe think, yeah, but I'm Jewish. I, I was born into this group of people and, and God likes us maybe more or gives us favoritism or allows us uh, maybe to do some things <laughs> differently. I don't have to worry about the, those things. He's saying, no, no, no. All of us are in that together and this storing up is so important. It makes me think of like a, uh, when I was young, I had had a jar that I put change in. And we're in high school, I worked a job where we got like cha- change a lot um, from waiting tables and people would give you change for tips. They'd give you exactly 10% uh, in change. And so I had pockets of change and I put it in this jar. And the hope was that, you know, as it built up, I could use the jar for something fun, um, probably a video game or eating food somewhere with friends. Or this, We're like saving up this wrath. So it, over and over, we turn to things other than God. And we're filling this jar, right? We're dropping a coin in and another coin in, another coin until it almost overflows, almost as if we're like slowly poisoning ourselves. This wrath that is laying, being laid on us because of unrepentant heart, hearts that aren't turning to God. Our hopes and our motives aren't towards God, but other things becoming ultimate things, right? This is kind of what we've been talking about. He's really, he's really tried to land here because this is such a, core, core foundational value and belief in this community. That we are like a chosen people who are somehow uh, different in that we don't have the same thing happening to us. He says, we will, he will render to each one according to his works. This is actually a phrase that is a quote out of Psalm 62. At the end of Psalm 62, it says this phrase, for you will render to a man according to his works. So all of Psalm 62 is sort of a story of the, what it looks like to be a faithful follower of God, what it looks like to, to turn, to be repentant, turn to God, and what it looks like to not turn to God. And it's a story actually David is writing about how people are coming to hurt him as king. And he's kind of sharing these two types of people. It's a very short Psalm. This is the end of it actually, verse 12. But in the Psalm, these are kind of a little taste of what He's looking at, so even by quoting this, Paul is saying to a group of people who probably would know this Psalm, because this is their, their, their words, right? This is their, their book. And he'd say, remember even in Psalm 62, he's saying there's these different people. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. That's who rescues me. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. I wanna, I wanna be firm where I'm at. I wanna be shaken I want to be rescued, and that comes from God alone, right? And then, he, and then he shares right after this, this other group of people. For they plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. That sounds like Romans, right? They, they think they're, they're wise, but they're actually fools. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Oh, that's a, that, like that alone, right? This idea of we're saying something maybe blessing people. Oh yeah, hey, that's great. And then how quickly we turn to curse those people. It's this hypocrisy. It's this heart being different than actually what's on the outside. It's a, maybe even if we might call it like a fake in it kind of thing where I am hey, I'm really great, but inside really not okay. It's something that Jesus talks about as he talks about to the Pharisees, these Jewish leaders, 
Often he's talking about this kind of false facade. You think you're doing everything right, but inside you're actually falling apart. You're actually deathly. The heart inside of you is dying or dead. And on the outside, you look like you have things <coughs> together. Douglas Moo, who uh, write, writes a lot about Romans, also has one of the coolest Romans commentary names out there. Uh, Douglas Moo says, as the contrast in these verses makes clear, there are two and only two fates in store for every person at the time of God's righteous judgment. Those who do not receive eternal life receive the punishment of God's wrath. Saying, let's be clear here. It seems like Paul's laying out, hey, the option is to turn to God, follow him and his ways and see eternal life, to see life or not turn to him, to see death. This is a thing we see all, all throughout scripture, um, this life and death. We see this in the passage actually in Romans as well, not just in Psalm 62. It kind of signals to us as he quotes Psalm 62. Hey, remember Psalm 62? Well, this is kind of what it's saying to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life, the glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. It's like he states it twice, right? Uh, so if, if we're seeking the glory of God and his honor, then, then there's life to that. And there's also the other option, right? But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, they will be, uh, they will be wrath and fury. There's tribulation and distress for those who do evil. Evil might sound strong, but it's really just a turning from God. <coughs> um, so he's making it clear. Okay, we know this, right? So you, you might be feeling like, yeah, you say us, the, the Gentiles have this problem. And now you're saying we have this problem, but we're like, good, we, we've done the right things. And so he's kind of clarifying. Yeah, yeah, because that is what it says. It says, for those who follow God and, and always follow him and are unrighteous and, and seek him and do the right things and obey, there is life. And for those who don't, there is not necessarily life. You might think like, well, I'm, a, I'm Jewish, so therefore then I get to be righteous. He's saying, no, there's no partiality. All people come before God and he says, which one of these have you been? That's a scary thing to think about. <coughs> which one of these have I been? A Dr. Adeyemo says this, uh, human judgment is based on partial knowledge, on human uh, presuppositions, on racial, tribal, or other prejudices. God's judgment is based on facts and knowledge. This is where in the past we hear this, he judges in truth. God knows us fully as individuals, groups, tribes, and congregations. He judges us on the basis of what we do, what we think from Matthew 5, what we say from James, and his judgment is right. Each person's verdict will be the right one given their actions. God does not tolerate sin nor show any favoritism as far as sin is concerned. <coughs> He's reminding us here uh, that the right judge of these things then is the only true perfect judge which is God. I think when I read these, I will feel like I start going, oh, okay, which, where do I land? I'm generally really nice to people and caring to people and I make good choices and I have for a long, long time. He's saying, but you're not the one who gets to decide that because your, your vision isn't clear and, and you have a bias towards certain things and you've had experiences towards certain things. You have privileges to certain things and you're not gonna be seeing this clearly. 
And I think this is where this, is where this passage can change us is when we start seeing it like this. Oh, but, but how God sees it. When he looks down, does he see a life of repentant heart, a life turned to him? <clears throat> I definitely could see this passage if I read it and I'm not thinking about Drew, I'm thinking about other people. I definitely go, oh yeah. I don't know if I know anyone who's in the really repentant. I don't know if anyone who has pure motives out of their heart, even when they're doing good things, they're still part of it is a bit selfish, self-seeking. It's harder for me to, to consider like, I, but I, I, there's gotta be a way I could get into that group, right? That first group that feels like they have life. And we're being reminded here that sin is sin. Turning your heart from God is turning your heart from God. I think it's hard to, to see this. It's hard to feel this. My first reaction is, can I start making a tally? Can I start making a list? Where do I fall? And I don't think the, the point of Paul's trying to make here is let's figure out which one you're in. He's trying to just land us here to go, here's where we're at. We're not seeing ourselves clearly. There's no favoritism. We're all in a lot of trouble here. This actually reminds me of one of my all-time favorite commercials right now, one that every time laughs, if it comes on, I've been seeing commercials again because we're watching basketball at our house and all of a sudden there's commercials. <laughs> our kids are like, what are those things in between the, the little shows, in between the big shows? Um, this is one of my favorite commercials. I think this commercial I, I saw a few weeks ago, and I went, oh, this feels just like Romans 2. So let's watch this uh, and consider like, do you feel yourself ever in this place, especially in this, this conversation of, where am I at even in this passage? Are we ready there if I flip this over? All right. Hey, sweetie, I'm not seeing the life jackets. Well, you said you packed them. No, you packed them. No, you packed them. You said I won't forget to pack the life jackets. I won't forget to pack the life jacket. I, I'm sorry, I have, to, I have to challenge that. Well, you do have one left, so. This What Really Happened replay is brought to you by Progressive. One thing no one would challenge, protecting your home and auto with Progressive. You know, my favorite part was when you said, obviously, I won't forget to bring the life jackets. <laughs> nice work. Never heard you scream like that before. What? That is not a big deal. I'm scared of spiders, too. I know it's not a big deal because I didn't scream. Oh, I see. You didn't scream. No. So that's why it's not a big deal. Should we play it back? Do it. This What Really Happened replay is brought to you by Progressive. One thing no one would challenge, protecting your home and auto with Progressive. I'm sorry you had to relive that. <laughs> Why is it looking at? Well, I'm not a cat expert because we don't have a cat. I'm telling you that I shut the slider last night. Are you sure about that? I closed it. Why don't we check the replay? That is very aggressive, I don't think. This What Really Happened replay is brought to you by Progressive. One thing no one would challenge, saving money when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Uh, yeah, that does look like me. Hmm. That's because it is you. <laughs> That's my favorite part. <laughs> That's because it is you. <laughs> That's what reminded me of this passage. Uh, that, oh, okay, I'm going to look back. I need a replay. I really don't need a replay, right? I really don't need a replay, but okay, let's, let's consider life. Where do I land? I, but, I, but I'm this, so it must make me okay. And then I watch the replay and I go, oh, that really looks like me. 
worshiping that thing that's not Jesus? Because it is. Because it is you. I feel like in a way Paul's saying, yeah, that those things are pretty deathly. How those things don't bring life like we thought they would. And they say, yeah, those people, they almost look like us. And he says, it's because it is you. It is us. I think he wants us to understand here this first part of Romans, as we go through it over and over, can start feeling heavy and you go like, yeah, we get it, we get it. But I think we, I don't really get it. Maybe some of you don't. We, because I keep, I keep happening. It's so important to understand where we're actually at. It, it's because it is us that turn away. All of us. It's, we're not okay because of anything you could put in that place. We're only okay because of one thing, which you're gonna get to. But I think this, is a, this passage is actually really similar to a passage that Jesus, um, that, a story of Jesus with some people here. This happens in Mark 2. Jesus is hanging out with people here and someone has a question for him and his answer I think is really important here. And it's actually to uh, similar people, I think. People who would, uh, Jewish people, leaders actually in the Jewish church. And he gives an answer that in one sentence kind of caps, capsulates this whole thing that Paul is saying. I'm sure Paul would have remembered this story or heard this story. So in Mark 2, he says, and as he reclined at a table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, these are the, just the worst people, right? For sure, no doubt about it. You don't even need a replay for these people. We all know these people are sinners. They've turned from God. They're not doing the things God has called them to do. He said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So they say, why, is, why would Jesus sit with these people? You wonder if they're even thinking, why not sit with us more? We're the like good ones. We're the Psalm 62 ones who are, are the good ones. We're not the ones who are speaking with our mouths and Cursing with our hearts, well, maybe. Jesus says to them then, I love it. Jesus heard this. I just love the idea of Jesus hanging out with people and people are like whispering somewhere something about him. And then he answers it. There's no way he could have just heard it necessarily with like just human ears, but he has this like sense or he actually hears, knows their hearts. I just imagine that moment when they say, I wonder why he eats with these people. And then he goes, you want me to tell you why I eat with these people? And so he says to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Those people who are well are okay. They don't need a doctor, but those who are sick, they need a doctor. I've come not to help those who are well, they're already right, but sinners. I don't think Jesus here is saying, some of you are good, so don't worry about it. You go do your own thing. I'm just helping these poor sinners out. He's not laying out these two things like we see in Romans 2 and says, hey, so you just gotta be really good people. Be better people so that you don't have wrath because you don't wanna be those other people. I don't think here he's saying, be well people, don't be sick. He's just, he's saying something that should have them, in a moment, there should be a change in a heart. There should be a response. A response that could be, good thing I'm not a sinner. Good thing I'm not sick. You're right. Jesus, those people need doctors. Good thing you're here to help them. He's not saying, go figure it out. Go figure out how to get better and then come back and you can hang out. 
He's trying to engage them and change a heart. He's hoping that in the moment they would go, oh, I'm sick. I need a doctor. He's hoping they get the memo that they are also in need of a doctor. Paul wants us to hear the same thing. Hey, I'm not saying there's, you should live better lives, be better people, get better, do better. He's saying, hey, we're all sick. There's something wrong. We need a doctor. I need, I need help and you need help. All of us need help. That's, that's a thing we're all struggling with. That's a thing we're all dealing with. That's a disease that we all have and we're not curing it. He's, he's saying this not so that he says, hey, you're all terrible and then think, have a good day. Sincerely, Paul, right? This isn't the end of the letter. This is just him saying, it's so important that we go, yeah, I, need, I do need a doctor. I, I am diseased in my heart, in my mind. And this thing's gonna kill me if I don't have a cure, right? If I sit with my doctor, he says, you're sick, but we got something we can do about it. Paul's setting them up to say, you, you have an illness and there's someone who can help. When I was uh, 18 years old, I was going off to college and we'd take a physical to go to college. They, you know, they ask you like, I don't know, to make sure you're healthy before you go to college. And so I did go to my doctor and get a physical, which I thought nothing about it. I'm a high school athlete. I'm whatever, go to the hospital or go to the doctor. And then they're going to mail it off to UW-Platteville where I spent a little bit of time in college. Um, and I remember I was with my mom. We went to the doctor and they had run some tests and then they asked me to come back in and talk to them again. And I thought, oh, cool. It's like the, the bonus physical, not knowing when you're 18, like if they call you back in. <laughs> Uh, something they don't want to talk about on the phone, that maybe there's something going on. And we went in um, and we talked to them and I came home and my dad said, so what's going on? Like, you, are you okay? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And I started walking out of the kitchen and my mom said, uh, we're, we're not good. Come in here. And she said, tell them what your doctor said. And I said, I think we're good. And she said, just like repeat what the doctor said. Maybe you didn't hear it right. I said, oh, okay, yeah, he said like something's wrong with my heart, like my heart's not good, and that when I'm a little bit older, I'll probably have to get a new valve or something, and then I'm like at higher risk for like all this heart stuff. Uh, it's not a big deal, though. They're gonna like throw a new valve in someday and uh, run some more tests. Every year, I'll get to go see a cardiologist. Um, hopefully, it's not a big deal. He also said I should make sure I tell my kids this because it's something I could pass on to them, some kind of heart hereditary thing. Uh, so I'm good. And I left the kitchen. It's a great moment, right? My mom, you're not good. Uh, so we got to talk through all that. It's that moment you go like, I'm good, I'm good. No, 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 you're not. It's okay, it's okay. It's okay. You're, there's something wrong with your heart and thank God we have found a doctor who found it and they're gonna be able to fix it. Thank God they're gonna be able to go in there with their skills they have that you don't have and they're gonna be able to replace and fix your valves so your heart's gonna work better than it ever has. And your blood's gonna pump through your body and your whole body will work better than it ever has. And your brain's gonna work better than it ever has. So you gotta say though, like there's something wrong with your heart. I gotta go get help. You just can't go, okay, I'm good. I mean, that's a fairly normal pattern at the doctor. Maybe some of you have experienced this. Maybe you're looking at a spouse who you've experienced this with. It's all good. It's not good. But friends, there is really good news. When we can get there, when you could say, you can take a breath. 
okay, I, I'm not okay. I'm sick. I'm storing up wrath. There's actually really, really good news. And the good news is really good because we can say, yeah, yeah, there's something wrong with my heart. It's really good. But if I say I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> there's not good news because you don't think you need good news. So Paul, he loves these people dearly. And he's like, I want you to know that you need, you need the cure. And I'm here to give you that good news. This condition that we've been feeling, I would say not even uh, in my own life, for my heart, I was aware of some things that were weird. Remember my heart would beat weird sometimes when I was playing soccer, it would like flutter weird and I'd get lightheaded. And then I just saw like, oh, weird. And I remember saying, I have a friend, Sean, and I'd say, isn't it weird when your heart does the thing and you get lightheaded? And he was like, oh, I don't do, that doesn't happen to everyone. Uh, I'd say, oh, no, no, you know what I mean. I never got to check that. It's like, okay, I guess that's just, we all are like that, right? You get lightheaded and your chest feels weird. Uh, only when you're like 16 can you do that and not think, think of it. There's really good news because we have all felt this condition, right? These people Paul's talking to have felt the condition of brokenness in their life and the people around them. He's saying, you're not, you're not crazy. It, it's true. There's sin and it's broken and all of us have this problem but there's a physician who can heal you. There has, there's been one who has come. There's only one who has been the one to be patient and well-doing, who sought the glory and honor and sought immortality. There's only one who has come for glory and honor and peace and does good. There's one who does good. And he's come and he's actually taken the wrath and the fury that you've stored up, that you've been collecting on himself so that you could have his eternal life, so that you could have his goodness and his mercy. That sits very different when I go, oh, I did need that. I do need that. Allowing us just in faith in him saying, I believe I, I am turning to you. I believe you are the one who has taken that wrath and that fury so that I could have the goodness and that great exchange that we've talked about before that we saw early in Romans. And it changes our hearts. So understanding that good news, understanding, yes, I am, I'm, I'm sick. And there is a good physician, capital G, good physician who's come. That's what changes our hard and unrepentant hearts. Turning, 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 turning to him. That's what takes that wrath that we've stored up. As we end our time, I do, this, this is something that changes uh, everything. This is the kind of a core value, right? A core foundation of what the gospel is and this good news. And I think it changes for me three things this week. I've been thinking about how this changes how I view. So I put my, I've said this before, but put my gospel glasses on. I got an upgrade from them. They're kind of cool now with the top part and the kind of hip professor. They look professory. If I put my gospel glasses on, I begin to see things around me differently if I really believe what we've been looking at here in Romans. If I really believe the truth that there is no favoritism, that all of us are stuck storing up wrath, that we're all sick, that really the, the solution is to look to the good physician, Jesus, who heals us, it changes my view of myself and others in God. And just quickly, a few ways that that has changed me. First, for myself, I really feel like it allows me to take a breath. There's a constant hustle kind of in my life. 
Not kind of. There is a constant hustle. How, how can I put myself in the right place or with the right people group or who can be associated with the right thing so that I could say, I'm this and so I'm okay. And this allows me to go, okay, I'm not okay. It's, it's, really, it's really good to say I'm not okay because then I get to turn to the one who makes me okay. This has been really important in my life to say, yeah, I am sinful. And I could, I'm not okay. And that's okay. And, and I'm with other people who aren't okay. It's really been valuable. Not just, hey, Drew, you're not better than others. But Drew, I think often I find myself thinking I'm, I have no problem thinking that I'm worse than others. And so this allows me to go, I'm not the one who has to figure this out. It's really important. As I look at others around me, this should unite me with others. We should be able to sit together and go, oh, we're not all, none of us are okay. I think that often when I hear someone say, I've really connected to these people, or I started going to this small group and I really connected. They all were like messed up too. <laughs> they go, oh yeah, yeah. Anywhere you went, actually. <laughs> Maybe they're okay, they're honest about it. This also allows me to be gracious to others. To say, oh, I, yeah, I get that. It might look different than my thing, but I too have turned from God and what he wants for me and done that thing. I can have compassion towards you and grace towards you, knowing that I'm in the same place. I'm not better because of this. I'm better only because of Jesus and we're in this together. I also then with others, I get the opportunity to point them to the one, the great physician, right? Our good doctor. It also reminds me that others will not be the ones who save me. I think in my life, this is one of the things I can turn to in creation or other people. And so I might turn and say, hey, you're gonna, you're gonna rescue me from my sin. You're gonna be the great doctor. You're gonna give me all the approval or comfort or care that, that or I'm gonna get, you're gonna laugh enough at my jokes that you're gonna give me great hope in life that might be good, but not God, right? And so I can look at others too as the good doctors and forget the one who actually heals me. And lastly, it really changes, can change my view of God because God now isn't one saying you're, you're doing all these bad things, Drew, stop doing it. Instead, he's saying, you're broken, you're weak, you're sick, and I wanna heal you. I wanna show you great kindness and mercy to heal you. You deserved this, and I could have left you there, and I don't leave you there. I, I wanna rescue you. I wanna bless you. I wanna heal you. I want that heart of yours to turn to me, and we can enjoy that together. God reminds me also that uh, I'm not the one who heals in my heart, but the good doctor does. I think often I just try really hard to change my heart and it's an opportunity for me to turn my heart to the one who does change my heart. I'm gonna invite our worship team up as we continue to worship here together. I want us to consider a few things as we worship and remember this good news that our God has come and not left us in that place First, you, do you know that you're sick and that Jesus can heal you? You know how, what good news that is? I would guess if we sat for a moment and we could be real honest, we have no problem thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm sick. But the good, good news today is that Jesus has healed us. When do you feel okay without Jesus? I'm okay because I'm whatever, right? Whatever that is, you can fill that in. That happens about a hundred times a day, I feel like. And I forget that I'm okay because of, uh, of who I am in Jesus 
Do you, uh, who do you feel safe with or able to share sin struggles with? Who are those that you feel like you are united with and saying, hey, uh, I'm kind of broken and you are, and how can we help each other turn, turn to this good God? And who needs to know this week that, you, that we're all broken and there's someone who heals us? This week, you might get the opportunity even to share that good news with others. Friends, we're gonna take an opportunity to worship this good God, our good doctor who has come to rescue us and has not left us uh, it, with our coin jar of wrath and fury, but has taken that himself so that we could have life. Let's pray and thank him and let's worship together. We're gonna do that through a few things. We got communion out in the hallway, which is an opportunity to remember his death and res- resurrection, that Christ died on a cross and rose from death. He did the works, took on that wrath so that we didn't have to. And so we get an opportunity to celebrate that together. You don't have to be a member of hope. I would just ask that you follow Jesus so that that means something to you. We encourage you to do that together. Um, there's also an opportunity to sing with our worship team. There'll be people in the back room who would love to pray for you. Um, and you can always respond also just by giving uh, to the ministry here at Hope. You can do that online. Let me pray for us. Father, your kindness towards us is incredible. We, you, you could have just left that. We could have just been left in our sickness, in our brokenness and are storing up of wrath. And instead you said, no, I, I'm gonna come and rescue my people from that. I'm gonna make you sons and daughters. I'm gonna make you alive. I'm gonna bring you out of darkness and into light. Lord, that's good news. Uh, and I pray that we would say, yes, I, I need you. Yes, I'm broken. And from that, our hearts would swell as we were reminded of your good, good healing. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' good name, the one who died and rose so that we could have life. Amen.